Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. This is your co-host, Andy Patzel, alongside Steve Smith. Episode 46 this week, we're talking about TV tennis. TV tennis. Beginning for me, I think back in 1975, 76, 77, the U.S. Open, before it shifted over to Flushing Meadows, mm. they switched from grass to American Hartru, the green clay. Yeah. And throughout the summer, there was a final every Monday night. I can remember uh, Arthur Ashe, Jimmy Connors, 1975 Wimbledon final, mm-hmm. taped delayed. Mm. But when those matches were on Monday night, the finals, they were on PBS. There used to be three stations, mm-hmm. NBC, ABC, CBS, and then PBS. And PBS had one minute uh, tapes produced by Vic Braden. Yeah. But really without TV, um, you know, first things first, thank you. Can you imagine if we didn't have TV? So <laughs> you might make a few comments about- TV's nice. About television <laughs> tennis, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, I can remember when people listen to sporting events on radio. <laughs> I know my son Connor played, there's a few times where he's playing a challenger. Yeah. And listen to the, the match. Um, well, now they have the, li- the live streaming and everything that you get, you know, a challenge. Yeah, but, it, but sometimes, you're, initially, sometimes the live streaming was just with sound. Yeah. Uh, on the downside, little, little or no doubles, little or no junior tennis being shown. Yeah. I think the college tennis, where they just showed the team final and the tennis channel, I think that was great. I think uh, the placement of the camera is important to point out. The camera is from, look, shooting from up above. Mm-hmm. Makes it very distorted, uh, creates optical problems. The trajectory of ground strokes. I think the Joe Public. We think that the players are hitting lasers yeah. because of the angle of the camera. Yeah, misleading. So yeah, the, the trajectory is misread. The player is about the, you know obviously the size of a TV varies, but the player is about the size of your smallest finger. Ball is about the size of a fingernail. I think also, too, the human eye sees 24 frames per second related to camera. I don't think they show enough slow motion. Um, commentating, Howard Cosell, the legendary sportscaster, <laughs> the prophet of the obvious. <laughs> um, but I do think uh, the question mark, is it educational? It's definitely entertaining, and that's important. Yeah. Definitely entertaining. It could be more more educating. Mm-hmm. The X's and O's. I mean, it's not soccer. It's not football where there's, you know, 22 people on the field. Where did everybody go? What just happened in that play? Um, I, do, I do think there's more of an emphasis on tactics and technique. Um, but again, more information shared on tactics. So we call it, you know, tactics, the X's and O's and nuts and bolts, the technical side. I do think there's even less technical information than the question can be no information versus bad information. Yeah, um, or misinformation. Yeah, grip, swing, body. Jim Verdick, we talked about Jim in one of our podcasts, one of our pillars. We got yeah. one more to go. We covered seven of the eight. We still need to cover Vic Braden here in our first year with podcasts. But Jim was so dedicated, he would sit and he would chart matches. Mm-hmm. Now we tell our juniors have a clipboard by the TV, and just chart twenty. You know, we twenty points. 
Yeah, 10, 10 serves, 10 returns. Not 20 matches, 20 points. <laughs> yeah, is, but again, to get them to even chart their own matches, you chart to get the objective data on how to structure practice. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about TV tennis, but then also just tennis. Two types of talk. There's small talk versus fact-finding. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can hear the bleacher talk. You can hear the buzz. I do think that many times it's, uh, the change of coach, or they've, they've changed where they're training. Oh, look at that new Nike outfit! Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've watched tennis um, in other countries. Certainly, I would have to ask for a translator. Uh, I really enjoyed in the past. I mean, it's, it's been some time now watching um, tennis in England. They used to just give out so much information. You'd even go back as far as telling you how many times. Is, Players played each other as juniors. Mm. In Canada, I enjoy listening to Peter Burwash. He was a TV commentator. He's one of our, our pillars. Um, generally, in tennis, there's no coaches in the booth. Growing up uh, next to Canada, CBC, the Hockey Network, um, when I was a kid, there was Howie Meeker. And they put forth an effort to teach hockey in between periods. Mm. John Madden, football, John Cherry in hockey as well. But I think both Madden and Cherry um, really personality rules the day. Yeah. Um, stats, uh, we talked about Bill Jacobson, one of our pillars. Uh, Leo Laven, who uh, started with Bill, um, recently passed away at a very young, young age. Um, he was Really appreciated by TV commentators because bringing um, stats to it. Now, uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy, I know that he's done some work on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, commentators typically are not that critical. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm just cynical, but they're usually too many times just edifying the player, building the player up. But if you pay attention, what happens with a lot of commentators, they end up coaching. So they have access to the top players and I do think sometimes they're killing him with Kanye's. Well, they don't want to rip the top player if they have a chance to coach him. So yeah, Jimmy Arias. Uh, <laughs> I think Johnny Mack. He, he he's probably the most critical. If I think think about the commentators, you know where he'll he'll dig in a little bit. Yeah, um, I used to tease. You know, the, the more Johnny Mack says, uh, the less he knows. But that, that's really true from a a ball striking standpoint. But, yeah, but yet. Anytime you can listen to someone with that, you know, background, that that com- competitive mind, the insights are yeah, they're giving me some insights. You know, definitely uh, worth uh, looking into. Touring pros, you get on YouTube, and uh, I think Tracy Austin is one of the best touring pros when they're in a uh, setting, a, a clinical setting, teaching strokes. Just have to, all you have to do is go to YouTube. Uh, and, and 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 that's not really their forte. Obviously, that's not what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, so the celebrity coaches. I think Lendl. Uh, I've heard him say many times. You know, I don't do technique. Yeah. And so I, we've we've covered that before. Where I don't do grips. You don't want to be um, pretentious. Yeah, Brad Gilbert. I yeah. don't do grips. I don't do grips. Next question. Um, it used to be three people in the booth. Um. I just think of uh, you know all the, all the crews over the years, but then it's really been for the most part two. 
Uh, but yeah, they'll, but they'll, have they'll, one, a, they'll have somebody courtside. Yeah, they'll, or they'll get a guest every once in a while for a couple games. Yeah. Um, but they're covering more courts, so there's more jobs, especially now with, as you said, streaming matches. Yeah. There's more courts to cover. It used to be just they would just have commentators for the, you know, the, the two big courts. Got some field reporters. When I was on the Vic Braden staff in California, um, Vic was on TV as a commentator. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites was the late Bud Collins. Yeah. Because he brought history to it. Plus, he had some fun calling everybody a hacker. Yeah, it's some personality for sure. Bud actually, uh, he loved Boston so much, people thought he was a Bostonian, but he's from Cleveland. I think it was 1963 where he uh, won a mixed doubles title, a national championship. He used to say they had a win over uh, Virginia Wade on bad grass. Virginia won Wimbledon in 77. So Bud really wasn't a hacker. Uh, Jimmy Connors, that's one of my favorite stories. When he started commentating, they'd say, if you could interview this person, I don't like that person. <laughs> interview this person, I don't like that person. Interview this person, I don't like that person. Then they finally said, who would you like to interview? He said, Eddie Dibbs. It's kind of like coaching on the WTA tour. How about practicing with this girl? <laughs> I don't like her. How about this one? No, nah, I don't like her either. Okay. Eddie, Eddie Dibbs, uh, the, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn boy who grew up in Miami. Funny, funny guy. One of my favorites was Vetus Gerolaitis. Um Sadly, he left us at such a young age. But, you know, Arthur Ashe, Pancho Gonzalez, Tony Traber, Donald Dell. Yeah. Um, you know, even, you know, Bjorn Borg and Stan Smith, it was, they did some, but it wasn't, um, you know, you have Chris Everett, um, Tracy Austin. Um, it, 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 you think about it, we're, you know, we, I think we can criticize, but we're fortunate to uh, have the opportunity to listen to uh, champions. But Some legends, yeah. I do think the, uh, the format they have, they don't have that much time in between points. Um, there was, uh, and I looked into this and I asked an Italian coach, years ago there was two Italians, a match would play, and they would be talking about anything and everything, a movie, Broadway play, <laughs> fancy restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Be at the U.S. and go, yeah, I went to, you know, and just the match would be playing. Yeah. Uh, we ran this program called Tennis Tech for tennis teachers, and I can remember uh, we had students who said they wanted to be TV commentators. Mm. So during our lab, we created a match, mm-hmm. and then we created a, a booth and a microphone and film and recorded and it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To make comments, John, Johnny, on the spot. It is amazing, though. I got to know Robbie Koenig pretty well. Yeah. Um, over the years, spending so many years at the Indian Wells Masters Tournament. And I got to go up in the booth one time. And and it is amazing the amount of information that they have, the background information on each player. And then also with, you know, Hawkeye and some of these new technologies where they can get a lot of stats, you know, where net clearance and just all kinds of things. So they do have a, an unbelievable amount of statistics and information going in and just right in front of them as the match is going on. So that does help. Yeah, for sure. For sure. At one point, all the pro tournaments played in Texas and a couple in Florida, we provided the stats. We mm-hmm. had our connection with Bill Jacobson, CT, the CT 120, the yeah. first laptop. And, um, yeah, you would help the commentators out by handing them stats. Yeah. Um, you know, Craig Tiley's name is mentioned quite quite a bit. He he did that, um, you know, through us with uh, with our CompuTennis um, machinery and 
computers. The time element, once again, the in-between point time, um, you got, you know, it used to be 30 seconds, 25, 20. I got the shot clock. Yeah, I think of ice hockey, always. Hockey, they have play-by-play, and a play-by, the play-by, play person is like the announcer at a horse race, where it's just, yeah. the puck goes yeah. here, puck goes puck there, and they're off to the races. Side, and there's one person who just, you know, they're referred to as the color commentator. Mm-hmm. And Harry Neal, I think everyone could learn from Harry Neal, his former coach, so he was a color commentator. So the puck stops, a whistle blows, so the play-by-play person takes a breath, and then Harry... Um, I remember the uh, Richard Hernandez, who's been a, on our podcast at his club in Toronto, and he's been there since the mid '80s. Um, there's the Moore brothers. All three were drafted in the NHL. All three went to Harvard. Hmm. And Harry Neal was just great at this because he just had the, you know, they're going to drop the puck, and he would just have just seconds. And I remember him saying, "If there's a Hall of Fame for tennis parents." <laughs> more families yeah. are definitely in. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do think that, um, so we, on the outside, we criticize commentators. They don't have that much time to say something, uh, but actually then the, when the match is over, then, you know, they're taking some time to go through it. Yeah. You know, that's where you find out there's a lack of information. Um, yeah. So with that, it'd be fun, you know, going back to Harry Neal, write some one-liners. You know, I, I've always teased and said, you know, we, we should have a camp for commentators. For commentators, yeah. I don't think anyone would cub, but can you imagine if you had the money to put in a, say, put a full-page ad in a tennis magazine? Yeah. Course for tennis, tennis commentators. And, but they really should have fact-based instruction. I mean, they should know... They should be educating the public, you know, yeah. 78 feet down the line and you go cross court, 82 and a half. If they had that type of language. Yeah, because it's a powerful voice, you know. Obviously, a lot of them, like you said, they're legends or, or famous ex-tennis players. So, you know, when they say, hey, coming over the ball, which is just kind of a, a term that's known for topspin. But some people take that literally like, oh, okay, yeah, I got to try to come over it. They knifed it. Things like that. Yeah. I mean, so it can be a little misleading to people that are just learning the game or, or even have some time in the game. But so there are some myths out there that you hear often and it's too bad. No, with, uh, I did this just the other day with an ice hockey game and I had some kids rainy day. I said, okay, let's, let's watch this and just yeah. write down words that apply to your sport. Mm. Offense, defense, neutral. Yeah. Um, it just goes on and on. Yeah. Assignments. Um, working as a team. Then when the co- the players are interviewed, it's 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 really all the same. Yeah. You know, granted, you know, we hear the term cliche. Yeah. With I had him watching golf. You know, you have the drive. Yeah. You have the approach, and then you have the putt. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, there's so many similarities from one sport to the next. Shadow swings. Um, the ball goes the way the strings face at the contact point. The guy, the gal, he only goes to the net to shake hands and pick up balls. Even lines that you've heard yeah. um, over and over again. With, um, But definitely, uh, with, say with Wimbledon on, um, 
what, what would be your comment on, you know, why don't players go to the net? You know, why is the grass now worn out in the back of the <laughs> yeah. court? It's not, it used to be called the run up where players would come in approximately one, two, three split step and the grass yeah. would wear out. Yeah. I was saying today, you know, although it's just the early rounds, but look how nice the court is. You know, it's so well manicured from the service line in. But that's where the stats also can be misleading where, okay, yeah, players are winning 67% of the net, but that doesn't mean you can go every point. You know, as you can see, they have to wait off the ground for the right ball to come in on or if they hurt their opponent. You know, the speed of the game is obviously one thing, but players definitely could be serving and volleying. Um, although I, there's always the argument, hey, the faster or better you serve, the faster it's coming back. Just the, with the equipment, the ability to return serve has improved. Well, the information that we've assembled through our pillars, like Bill Jacobson with stats, but then also there's others, uh, like say uh, Carlos Goffey with Tournament Tough, the green light point. Yeah. That, but, J- that Jacobson incorporated into his system, you know, it's 40 love. The math is on your side to yeah. take a risk. Yeah. How many times do they have a 40 left point? How many times do they serve in volley? But it goes back to just saying you can't serve in volley if you can't serve in volley. So I think just, I think the skills from the service line in just, they're not practiced as much as they used to be. You know, even the grass, we, we talked about that the other day, that the grass is a hybrid, that it's, it's different than it was. Yeah. The first year they changed it. Now Bandy and Hewitt played in the men's final. Yeah. And there wasn't one one serving volley point. Yeah. But say, for example, Sebastian Cord is on the cover of Tennis Magazine. Everybody's talking about, you know, his upside. You know, <laughs> the great American hope to have another top 10 player. Clean, simple groundies. Yeah. I mean, he could tweak his serve a little bit. Um, you know, his racket, a little bit of a regress palm up, a little yeah. bit of a hitch. But he's very, very good. But I think it comes back to the nuts and bolts is why is he good? And I yeah. read where tennis is one of the most, if not number one, the most unregulated sport in regard to coaching. Yeah. And to grow our game, I think, you know, too many times there's this, um, you know, one area coach fighting against another area coach. Who's the best? And, um, there's just certain sports, like say basketball. Is, okay, this is how you pass the ball. This is a chess pass. I mean, you yeah. just there's fundamentals that are accepted as basic law. Okay, we are going to run through the line of scrimmage as a fullback with two hands on the ball. Yeah, it's not going to be our style to do it with one hand on the ball. Yeah, if you do that, a hundred thousand people in the stadium. If I mean seventy thousand of are cheering for your team and your fullback's got one hand on the ball, everybody knows. Yeah, and everybody should know um, that the better understanding you have for basics. And I do think also too is that um, the line, like say from Welby Van Horn, players improvise within a range of correctness. Yeah, Welby uh, Vic Braden, players cannot violate physical laws. Right. But um, the pros are so good that, you know, it goes so fast. Uh, this was not a chauvinistic or a sexist comment, but years ago, I would tell juniors, you know, I think you have a better chance of learning by watching a women's match. You know, a lot of boys, you know, slap them across the head that, oh, I, I don't watch those girls play. 
I don't watch women's tennis. <laughs> I said those girls would beat you like the bongos. Yeah. Um, but it's just a little bit more um, noticeable as far as how they construct a point, kind of like a guard bringing a ball down slowly in a basketball game. Yeah, we were watching uh, Tiafo. you know, he had the win over um, Tsitsipas. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you know, great American tennis. But at the same time, we were saying, well, job just got tougher teaching the forehand. <laughs> because, you know, you say this all the time, you know, you cheer for the person that's going to help tennis teaching. And, you know, whose forehand would you choose? Would you choose, you know, Sebastian Corda's forehand or would you choose... Tiafo's forehand. And yeah, it's I, like, you know, the simplicity of of Sebastian's ground strokes. It's like, you, you know, you're going to bet on that forehand more than you are Tiafo, but people don't force. I don't know Francis Tiafo, but I was around him for two weeks and my son's Connor's practiced with him, played doubles with him. So I've, I'm introduced to him and I mean, he's called me Papa Smith and, yeah. he's, you know, makes everybody feel like you've known him his whole life. I think he has no stage fright. I mean, yeah, he's great, 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 but you know, his forehand, it's not wrong. Um, we say this, for example, um, it'd be easier to copy Jack sock than it would be to copy, um, Sebastian Corder, or it would be easier to copy Jack sock than Roger Federer. Uh, I know you've said that Roger Federer said to you that, um, I'm not that easy a player to copy. Yeah. But a kid just picking up a Western grip, Rack it with a Western grip and just, okay, I'm just going to swing it. Yeah, if you're young, the ball's like, high. You feel good to have that full yeah, Western. You know, well, it's like, this is how you swing a fly swatter. Yeah. In the human brain, if you do it over and over and over again. But you go back to from players from one era to the next, uh, and I don't think that's um, done enough. I don't know why. There's so many reasons you could you could speculate you know, the appreciation of the history of the game. I think Federer has to be thanked for everything that's been done for Rod Laver, his name. But yeah. like Pete Sampras, you know, he's going to serve and volley to Stevie Johnson's backhand, come in and volley to it. Now, one of the Stevie Johnson, I mean, he just, you know, I mean, he's been in the top 30 in the world, I believe. He's such a great player. And what he did in college tennis, yeah. you know, people say second to none. Although, like a McEnroe and a Connors, there's some players that only played college tennis for one year. Yeah. But can people pinpoint the serve and come in and volley behind it? Can they really exploit a weakness? Yeah. And, you know, it's really only... Got to have the tools. You know, TFO's forehand, it really only has problems if, if people apply pressure to it. And the pressure would yeah, be time and space. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, can people take the ball early? Can they move through an approach shot? Can they take the time away? Yeah. And then do they have a volley when they get there? Um. You know, one thing I was going to say back when we were talking about cameras and the camera angle, you know, I spent a lot of time in Wells tournament and several pro tournaments filming with Vic and, you know, being able to be literally nose on the court level, but also behind the players from court level and just being able to film. And I've got terabytes of footage from that view, but it would be, they have all these different cameras on the court. You know, they have the net cam that goes forward. They have the ones that are, you know, they have all these different cameras. They should get to a point, especially with computers and technology where you could choose as the viewer, which camera angle that you would like to view it. You know, so then you, that would help things a lot. Just to see the trajectory, see the height, see the spin, see the footwork, see the movement, you know, 
you feel like you're right there on the court. That would be really fun. You know, it would also be fun just to turn off commentating if you didn't want it. Just have the sound. You know, it's like, hey, let's just listen to the footwork. Let's listen to the sound of the ball. You know, so if any executives are out there listening, we've got millions of listeners on our podcast. If any of you millions of listeners, if you're an executive for ESPN or whatever, give us the option to choose the camera angle. Uh, thank you. Um, I was teaching tennis in Japan many years ago. TTC, Tennis Training Center in Chiba. And Mr. Yoshida, he's he's the founder. And you know, I was asked, you know, if there's one thing that you've seen in Japan that you could take back to the US, mm-hmm. what would it be? And I said, well, graciously, there's many, many things, but you have a camera on one of your indoor courts that's directly above and it films the entire court. Yeah. So you could just tell, you just show from up above yeah. how kids are... Geometry. They're not getting, they're not coming in, split-stepping 10 and a half feet, halfway mm-hmm. between the surface line and the baseline. They're not moving diagonally. Yeah. And he said, well, the only thing we use that for is to see how lazy people are. <laughs> but, um, I do think that's the one thing with college tennis. College coaches have limitations. I was told recently it's gone from, and maybe I was wrong. I thought it said 21, but it's 20 hours a week. So coaches... You know, they, they can't spend so much time breaking down video if they only have 20 hours to practice. Yeah. Um, but um, getting people to study film, getting people to study film. And I think that's, um, you know, again, in other sports where, you know, hockey's six on six, but really five skaters against five skaters when there's no penalties. And it's like the telestrator, okay, what happened? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that coming back to the X's and O's, the directionals, um, you know, that's really shown enough. Yeah. Also, I put up a post the other day, just ideas for watching tennis on TV, you know, just to chart. You could do a lot of fun things as a player, as a coach, with a group of students. And one idea was just, hey, just draw a court and just, you know, we talk about this all the time, but charting just make a dot on the court that you've drawn of where the return lands you know and just is it a plus minus or ip in play is it weak strong or in play or you don't even have to do that just you know make a little scatter plot a dot where the return lands and then you'll see how players are just returning deep and through the middle you could even do that just on their general baseline play you know just so many little things that you could do watching tennis on tv you know, just to help teach. Famous story, nice hockey. When Gretzky was a little kid, no one told him to do it, it, but he took a pad of paper, took a pen, drew a hockey rink, and when he watched hockey on TV, he took the pen and just went everywhere the puck went. Yeah. And then he said from that, you know, he ended up having such a sixth sense on, uh, it's not a matter of, you know, what to do just with, with, with the puck, but when you're away from the puck. Yeah, I think what happens is too much in tennis, not only on TV, but again, TV is, you know, the people with the microphone. It's not just um, watching, but obviously listening. Yeah, is the word style. You know, it's like, well, that's their individual style. But again, coming back to the biomechanics at the impact point, players are you know. About ninety percent the same as far as what their body segments, where the racket is at the impact point. 
Yeah, I'd almost say a hundred. I mean, obviously someone, you know, it's so dynamic. They're not every time they're going to be in perfect position, you know, as far as being away from the ball or late or early or whatever. But yeah, the rest, you can't fight physical laws. Like Vic used to say, you can't violate physical laws. You know, they're going to be, everything's pretty much there, you know? No, there definitely has been changed. Like just this year at Wimbledon, saw they have um, on the show courts, courtside interview after the, mm-hmm. After the match, not just Sue Barker at the end of the final. For years and years, they didn't do that. Yeah. Used to be, if you get on YouTube, you can go back. Players didn't have chairs to sit down. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah TV's changed a lot of things. With um, when they do to go to commercial break, the players are sitting down. So they have that in-between time. And they're really forced to do that. In junior tennis, if a kid's losing, they don't sit down. Yeah. Usually they don't take yeah, that time like, out. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a senior player, they're going to show up with their own chair. They're going to make sure during the, the in-between game time, odd, odd games, switching one side to the next, they're going to go sit in the shade. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing, too. Like I was saying earlier, if you could, as if you are, have a chance to see, you know, the in-between, the games, those kind of things. But even if you're there in person... But I used to film just, okay, what do the players do? The rituals between games. And you like, obviously people know with Rafa Nadal, how he lines up his water bottles, but you just see everything they have, you know, the people that are really organized, but you know, you've got ice, the special drinks, the bananas, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, and you can see what people do between games. Some will meditate and put a towel over their head and some, you know, will keep tapping their toes and moving and that kind of thing to, you know, so it's just... Those are things you could look for as well. Although not everybody gets to see that. Brian, TV, Brian Wilson with the Beach Boys. Brian Wilson, who played for Craig Tile at the University of Illinois, he sent to work with me, mm-hmm. worked with him some. And I, this is really out of nowhere. It was many, many years ago. But he called me up during a U.S. Open match and said, what you should do is look it up on the computer. We should do that. Is... Um, the match is being played, so people at home, they can watch the match, and yeah, and we could just make some comments while the match is being played. Yeah, we've done that with some tweeting, but with that's where we got to go live. Go live. Um, we'll do it live. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, it's just not critical enough. You know, we tell junior tennis players all the time, be very positive when someone compliments you, thank you, but you're really, you just got to thrive on criticism. Yeah. And um, I remember being at Indian Wells one time and um, Nadal came into the locker room and, you know, he just leaned against the wall and and he had his arms above his head. He was just studying the stats, you know, what was going on with the ATP players from right. the, from the week before, what the what the updates were? Yeah. Um, with, um, but yeah, I just think that the, the tennis on TV we should be so thankful to have the opportunity to watch tennis. But at the same time, um, tennis is a very difficult sport, and to just you know wor- worldwide, but here in the U.S. to educate the American public, um, you know, just like. You know, taking the serve and going outside with your your five year old and start playing catch, just start throwing a ball. Yeah, 
and say if you're teaching people, it's it's kind of like, can you throw a snowball? Yeah. Did you ever throw a rock? Yeah. And now with kids just being on a computer, just using their thumbs, a video game, to get a throwing motion. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, to emphasize, you know, it, you got to become an athlete first. So, you know, talk to people about hand-eye coordination. And I really do think it's a platform because we're, tennis, we're fortunate that we basically have four Super Bowls. You know, the four Grand Slams. Yeah. It's, everybody's pumped up. I mean, the Australian is, I mean, it's loved now. It, for, before it was in December, there wasn't much money. And, you know, the best players in the world for a long, long time didn't go to Australia. And, you know, Margaret Court has got 62 Grand Slam titles. And, you, know, um, you know, that just should be honored. That's so many, you know, that's singles, mixed, and doubles. Yeah. But... It's, it's been broken down um, because how many Australians were just, it used to just be almost all Australians playing the Australian Open. Yeah. It was really almost a national championship. Mm. But all the Grand Slams are huge. And um, to just say, this is how you get your kids started in tennis. Yeah. Here in the U.S., you know, our governing body of tennis, the USTA, a lot of great people, a lot of great causes. They get a little cute girl who tosses the ball up in the air. And the ball comes down, hits her on the head. Yeah. You know, that's the commercial. Yeah. And but just for people to be taught what's the difference between palm up and palm down. The consumer or the tennis parent, their child can play tennis for five years. Yeah. You know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is a train coming right at them. They've got to palm up serve. Yeah. And, they're, well, and their thing is, is their, their, their child's taking lessons, maybe private lessons. Yeah. Um, well, that's where commentators are not going to know. I mean... They're not going to know when someone's a little bit palm up. And then, like you said before, you know, they're not going to be as critical. But technique, like I remember, I remember Vic back in the day commentating. I remember one point in particular, Michael Chang was playing somebody and Michael, had, you know, he pulled the left shoulder early. So the racket didn't fall below the ball, cuts across and he hits the net. And Vic talked about that. You know, he was like, oh. Pull that left side early and the racket doesn't fall and you got to hit 212 miles an hour on a horizontal plane to get the ball over the net and you hit the net. So the best players in the world can't violate physical laws. And you would talk about those types of things. And I think it was over a lot of people's heads, you know, it was like, whoa, you know, but that was like, hey, there's some information right there. Well, I think it was comes down to as far as technique, you know, because that's to have a coach in the booth. Um, you know, I think the, the Austin family, um, Gene Austin worked in Vic's pro shop. I think they adored, admired, respected Vic Braden. But at one point, um, you know, Vic was, was on a three man crew. The next thing he went to a two man crew. And, yeah. and it's just a little bit ironic that just in this one setting, you know, it varies from one match to the next, but Tracy was in and Vic was out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, Vic actually saw the humor in that because yeah. um, that's just the way he, he was wired. Is but I remember, okay, bug. I remember Vic, uh, you know, coming back and Cliff Drysdale. He has been commentating forever, and you know, obviously a world class player and great command of the English language, great sense of humor. Um, but Drysdale, 
Vic would just say, you know, you just be at dinner and just trying to be telling them, no, this, 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 this. But I think that's where, you know, my point of view would be, you got to spend time in the trenches. Yeah. You know, like say most college coaches, they grow away from teaching beginners. Even when they run their camp, they, you know, they've delegated and, you know, they want to row for one court to the next and, you know, not be in the trenches trying to get people to hit the ball better. Yeah. So it's kind of like auto mechanics, which I know nothing about, but are you a nuts and bolts guy? You know, I always use the analogy, can you take a lawnmower apart? Yeah, I think I could, but I don't know if I could put it back back together. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you can only wing it if you've won it, and if you won it, you can wing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like Mary Carrillo's had a great career, and she's very, very good. What a personality. And, you know, she's gone beyond, you know, just television, televised tennis matches. Mm -hmm. But she just happened to be there, and they just said, hey, we need a body. Yeah. And she... She was just a natural in. and she's been doing it. You know, it's like, I don't know. She hurt her knee and she's been doing it since she's like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can remember Vic talking about, I know we're going to talk about him in length, but Vic, um, Kramer realized it was so difficult to teach kids on how to hit a tennis ball. And I don't think that many commentators, I have heard courier just recently, say that's not, you know, that's not his lane. You know, that's not what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, I don't think they have people who've actually coached the game for the most part. Um, and I'm talking about... Grassroots, nuts, nuts and bolts. Well, nuts and bolts. Now, you know, and just the throws. And I do think that the analytics are out of line where, I mean, you know, it's an inside joke for us how many times you're going to hear serve plus one or the first four shots yeah. as in are really, you know, 12 and under players going to say that. No, Craig O'Shaughnessy, I've met him a couple of times. I don't really know him either, but um, he played college tennis with someone that I coached way back when, uh, when I was not that, that old Scott Wittenberg, they played college tennis together. Then Craig worked for Kim Wittenberg. And, um, you know, so we, we all have backgrounds with, uh, but I, o, o, O'Shaughnessy was a very good college player. He, he certainly knows that when you're teaching 10 year olds, yeah, they shouldn't be thinking his first four shots other than it's just slap city. Slap city. Yeah. And you know, you, but when a kid hears serve plus one over and over again, you see these kids arching their back, tossing way over their head and they hit a little bit of kick. The person on the other side, perhaps hit short. And then the kid's going to just tee off with, a beyond Western grip as Bud Collins used to call it. It's, it's so far beyond it's the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian grip. Yeah. No. Yeah. Just basic geometry. Like you said too, just to know, okay, you got to take those stats, but like you say, the real stats, grip, swing, body, but also just, okay, how about when somebody changes the angle of a shot, you know, if they miss or just talking about the zones of the court a little bit more, you know, defensive, neutral, offensive, those types of things. Like you said, with other sports, people talk about defense, offense, you know, short ball range, those kinds of basic concepts that would be great to hear to, to help. Yeah, and I, I guess I guess they, they probably can't, you know, that we wouldn't really know being outsiders, but like say Paul Wardlaw's book on directionals mm-hmm. or even there's a YouTube video. Yeah. And just say, you know, 
And listeners at home, you could go to YouTube. And yeah, because the commentator is not going to really be able to go through directionals. Um, they could as far do, as time goes. Yeah, not not yeah. in between points, but yeah, you know when they're in, when they're in between matches. Um, you know, and I've I've been a I'm an amateur writer, but I've been a professional writer. Where I'm in, you know, I'm at the Open, I'm at various tournaments because I'm writing for a magazine, mm-hmm. and um, you know, people want to listen to what the players have to say. You know, I, we tell kids uh, don't just listen for the court site. The court side soundbite is listen to the the interview. Yeah, that's nice when they have the transcripts as well, so you can go back and read them. Um, I think that. You know, the Olympics are coming up. Um, I was talking to Matt Clure earlier. You know, one thing about the Olympics, the behind the scenes, when they go back, they take they, they take a few minutes and they, they, they go back. They've gone to the athlete's hometown and they show where they've trained and what they've been doing. And mm. they go through the backstory the, or their progression. Um, you know, that all takes, you know, I mean, whatever the term might be research, it takes time yeah. to do that. And, but I, I do think that there's too much, um, when the match is over, you know, what did you think? What did you think? And the profit of the obvious and, um, with, you know, say Roger Fetter, um, I guess there's a, a time and place for a documentary, but, uh, I always say that this gentleman, uh, Adolf Kowalski, who taught him, he was his first coach. You think he would be like, okay, what did you do? Yeah. And, um, like, Red, yeah, his nickname was Seppi. But to actually have, like, you know, a little background story on each player. Yeah. Like, you know, the thing with Nadal having a two handed forehand when he was younger. Yeah. Um, the, I think, what happens is that too many times teaching pros, you know, the 25 year old, 26 year old who's teaching them so-called modern game. Mm. Um, you know, they're just, they're copying the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's okay. They're, they're watching Nadal and Federer and trying to interpret what they're doing. And, yeah. um, they've got the Ferrari paint job, but they don't have the engine. Yeah, what was the what was the process? What was the pathway? Yeah, but you know, obviously, the stories they're covering are okay. What's the story of the match? Well, we just watched the match, and then right afterwards, um, yeah, I mean, they're good. They're good. I, again, that would um, like a television producer. Well, that's not so easily done, of course, and they have a lot of time with the Olympics. Okay, they're just doing the trials now, so okay, now the American team is set. Yeah. So they have a month to prepare. Okay, who's who's going to be, you know, who's the high jumper, who's the pole vaulter? Um, but do some homework on that. Yeah. Um, It'd be nice to get more insights on some of the background. Um, no, for me, I mean, tennis on TV, like you said, it's awesome we have it, and now it's available basically on your cell phone. My wish would be to be able to see all the different kind of angles. Um, I think it would be very educational just – for the viewer. No, also, like, you know, um, maybe we could just close on, like say Pat, Sebastian Corda. Um, why is everybody talking about him? 
You know, they say, oh, he's got such a clean game. Well, why is it so clean? Yeah. Or the fact that he played other sports. Um, and just the fact that everybody in this family is a professional athlete, pretty much <laughs> successful. Like, just, you know, how, how, how did he start? And there's no substitute for a good beginning. Yeah. And, you know, people I think will look at, well, he's six foot five, great genetics, um, had every opportunity, you know, growing up in Florida. But, you know, I do think that that, that would be my one point is um, what a platform to educate the, in this country, okay, educate the American public on, you know, try to grow the game through, yeah. through TV and, um, I do think that um, you, know, you hear all the time, well, there'd be another, maybe not a boom, but tennis would um, perhaps be, you know, shot in the arm if we have, a, you know, we have a great player on the men's side. Yeah. You know, we certainly have had Venus and Serena for a long time. Um, yeah. But yeah, the story behind the story. Yep. Well... One last thing, targets. Yeah, I was talking about targets. You know, I mean, just what are the targets? Target tennis. Yeah. And, you know, they think, okay, you know, okay, this is where the play, and they can do that. Um, yeah, they have all the graphics. I mean, they do that every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, and you, you know, really, you know, if you get a kid just to draw a diagram of a tennis court, and you get one of those pens, you just click it, red and blue. Yeah. And... Um, it's going to be a lot of red if that's what you do with the unforced errors. And yeah. I guess now in education, they say you don't, don't use red. You know, don't let the kid's uh, paper look like you, had, oh. like you had a nosebleed on it. So a kid makes a cluster <laughs> of errors, forehand ground stroke, forehand ground stroke, and you just draw a dot from where they hit the ball to where the ball went. Yeah. And that's really what they're doing on TV. Yeah. Um, but why did the ball go there? You know, <laughs> You know, it looks like they're they're foreign. It looks like they're pointed there. It looks like they're throwing a discus. Yeah, and um, you know, but at home, you know, not to beat the players up. Obviously, they're great players. They're playing at Wimbledon, but the the margins between winning and losing are so slim. So you could think, all right, here are the targets, and tennis parents. I don't think they should really go out and teach their kids how to hit a ball unless they know. I'd hit a ball. Hmm. But if they could put the targets, we put five targets on the court. Yeah. One three and a half in each, three and a half feet in from each sideline baseline. So yeah. baseline is 27 feet. So now you got 20 feet up the middle. Yeah. But then we put a center mark. Uh, that comes from Braden. Braden took a cone, put it five in, five feet inside the baseline. Yeah. And said to Billie Jean King, if you could hit every shot here, how would you do? She thought about it for a minute. She said, you would never lose. Yeah. <laughs> So the kid method, KID, keep it deep. So we tell people you're on the right side of the net, right, excuse me, you're on the right side of the court, hit on the right side of the net. See those two cones? Your parents who just dropped you off here, they could drive their car right, right between those two cones. Yeah. So then the language, path of the racket, path of the target. Yeah. So I tell people when I'm sitting with, with them watching tennis, watch how the pros just hit up the middle. Yeah. It's nothing fancy. They're yeah. just hitting up the middle. So you wait for them, you know, you're in the rally, wait for them to miss, hit short, change the direction of the ball. Yeah. That's what you do in the rally. You're not yeah. trying to paint the lines, not trying to blast a winner. So you yeah. get the short ball. 
then you make the short ball, you go to the net, you do the math. And if you win two out of three consecutively, over and over we say this. 6-0. Broken record. Yeah. So two out of three, four out of six, eight out of 12, 16 out of 24, you win 6-0, 6-0. But then, so you go just go out and take six balls, cross-court forehand, cross-court backhand. Yeah. Downline approach shot. I like how you have them hit volleys deep so it'll help them with their mechanics. But when we're teaching strategy. First volley, yeah, first volley deep. But when we're teaching initially, is it play your approach shot, get in like you've set the point up for one volley. And you're feeding 30 miles an hour, courtesy feed. Here yeah. it comes. And you feed the forehand volley. And you know now the service box, it's, it's 13 and a half wide, 21 long. Can you? It's like, can you hit the ball in the living room? <laughs> yeah. And they can't. So again, back the strings go to the target, but then to show where the pros do it and say, when, and just it would just one quick minute when you're at home. In America, we're very spoiled with all sorts of public courts. Mm-hmm. Get a ball hopper, mom and dad. I mean, you know, you can learn to turn, feed a forehand. It's not rocket science. Yeah, you don't have to be paying a pro. It's not a conspiracy. We got to pay a pro hundred dollars an hour. Um, but that that would be a a mission or a vision of what we're trying to do with the Great Base is um, you should be able to go out with a ball hopper and feed some balls. Yeah. So target tennis. You know, the people in TV, I think if they had someone in the, someone on the team who really had taught tennis, it's like tennis decisions. Decisions on tennis teaching should not be made by people who are not teaching tennis. And again, through TV, um, yeah, I think that'd be a very good platform to help to educate. It is entertaining, but it's not educational enough. Yeah, I agree. Well, folks, hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Great Base Tennis Podcast. Yeah, we're at 46. We gotta, we're going to have a few more to end up at 52. Have a review at then 52. And you've Uncle Vic for, I think, three sessions. Yep. And then we have two more. Yeah. Right now, Wimbledon's going on. 2021, enjoy Wimbledon. And hopefully this gave you some ideas on what you can do. You can do some charting. You can do some observation. You know? Yeah, yesterday. When I was watching. Learning uh, session out of it with your players. I I think everybody watched it a little bit over the weekend. Uh, They showed the famous match between. Federer and Sampras. Yeah. And, you know, you know Federer's um, serve, what do you say a few things about that? His serve's definitely changed yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little more straight up, toss was a little higher, a little more to the left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the riddle, you know, things that people could remember. Does the racket find the toss or does the toss find the racket? Yeah. I asked and, him actually years after that at Indian Wells, hey, you know, your toss has changed a little bit, lower, more to the right. Is that something you've been working on? He said, no, it's just, you know, it's just the evolution of the game. Things evolve. And I think that's, for the most part, what happens with players. You know, they evolve. Every once in a while, someone comes along, like a Chilich, and gets a little information. It's like, oh, okay. A little lower to the Yeah, right. Chilich worked with Goran Ivanisevic, and he said, serve like me. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> uh, but I remember listening to Roger um they were asking him about Silich, and he said, before or after he changed his serve. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's where, 
players now. Um, you know, just, does that just jump out at you? And like, what did he change? Yeah. But, um, you know, does mom and dad go out and play catch with your kid? You know, okay, the, the word pitcher method, the volley is like catching the ball. You know, can you just catch? Then can you throw? Yeah. Um, with, uh, so anyway, tennis on TV, TV tennis. Yep. It's, it's great that we don't have tape delayed matches, though. <laughs> that is nice. In the tennis channel, 24-7. It's interesting, the tennis channel, They at first, they showed programming. Yeah. Now it seems like it's 100% just showing matches. Yeah, which is nice. Back in the day, it was M- MTV. You actually had music videos all the time. And then they started getting into shows and the real world and... I've never watched MTV. Yeah, I knew it. That explains a lot. <laughs> but with, uh, I liked it when they had uh, um, like Tom Avery, who has a, he has a website, and I I saw this. He had a segment. He had several. Um, I don't know, like his he six le- six lesson series on. Yeah, and uh, he went through Vic's Academy, I think. Yeah, I, I thought he had worked for Vic. He said no, I just went through his. You know, five day program, and you know he's um, very close when it comes down to that. I think it's a great thing if people are if people are close to understanding Vic Braden, they're way way better than the industry norm. Um, Agreed, and stay tuned for our episodes on Vic coming up here in the next few weeks. Howard Cosell being a prophet of the obvious. You can always turn the volume down. Lessons. You can always turn the volume down. Uh, with commentators, uh, but um, I think when people say that, um, I'd rather still listen to what they have to say because you know you can have a filtering system. You're going to definitely hear a couple pearls. Yeah, but also um, if you study technique, you're going to say no, no, that's not true. That's yeah. not true. Yeah, and that that's very common when you. Um, you know, top players, they don't say what they do or do what they say. Yeah. Um, it's just, but that's who's hired, too. I mean, you know, the, straight across the board, the people that are in the booth are people that played the game. Though the people yeah. supporting them, like, say, a Chris Fowler, um, you know, but actually, I think he steps out of line and not, not to, you know, and certainly we're not the ones to say, put him in line, but yeah. it's like, is he really talking about um, X's and O's and nuts and bolts? And But typically that's just the, that's yeah. the person who, who's just going to help the smoothness of the production. Yeah. They've been trained. Keep it, keep the sales up and keep it going. It's, they're not really so much uh, there for the tennis commentary. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Find us online, greatbasetennis.com. On social media at greatbasetennis, we're putting out all kinds of free content every day. Appreciate you spreading the word about this podcast and other information. We're trying to help tennis, help tennis teaching. You know, help us out. Scratch our back, you know? Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Anything, la- anything left to say, Smith? You got any last comments? You should not try to hit TV shots. Basic shots win the match. This episode was sponsored by Sugar Free Red Bull, by the way. (laughs) 
basic shots win the match. The fancy shots make the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I will go up and ask a kid. Uh, you know, they just tried his outrageous shot. And this is, are, you, are you playing Serena Day? Who's that on the other side? <laughs> yeah. You know, be brilliant with basics, Vince Lombardi. I'm over and out. Like it. See you in the next one, everybody. Thanks for listening.